Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we kick off the Elite Eight. Uh, it is a fierce set of matchups. Over the next two days, we will uh, be pitting the, Be- the Beach Boys versus Sly and the Family Stone, Leonard Skinner versus the Pixies, and then on uh, the second day, we will have Big Star versus the Stooges and the Velvet Underground versus Nirvana. But uh, day one, game one, Beach Boys, Sly and the Family Stone. Wow. This is a tough one. Who wants to start here? Oh, this is the uh this is the round of the tournament where things get really difficult. Um I think we were all we were all uh discussing that after we realized what these matchups were going to be after the after the Sweet Sixteen. Um and this is, you know, what could be a better illustration of that? You've got um two California groups here. Um I'll start with the easy things. I'll just start listing facts about them. Um you've got, you know, two California groups here, both um, you know, both extraordinary game changers, right? So you have the Beach Boys, who were really the the countervailing force, I think, in the United States to the Beatles, uh, such that one existed fully. Um, you know, got their start in the early 60s, 62, um, with Surf and Safari, and then by the end of 63, of course, they had, I believe, four full LPs at that point. Um, I mean, they were cranking these things out like, uh, like there was no tomorrow. Um, Sly, on the other hand, toward the end of the 60s, um, really, uh, you know, really managed to, to get a foothold um, and really sort of ushered in a, a completely new era of, of, I think, you know, psychedelic funk, basically. I mean, created a genre, and it was a genre that became one of the most definitive sounds of the next decade and a half in, in funk and disco. I mean, you really couldn't, uh, you, you wouldn't have had those, uh, had those genres without, without Sly Stone, um, the name that he took uh, while, while DJing in, uh, in, in Northern California. So, um, you know, with that, I will uh, I will turn it over maybe to Wyndham. You I'll, want to talk yeah, a little bit about in, the I'll, Beach Boys I'll and their legacy? One other, you know, similarity, which is you're talking about three siblings and a cousin um, in both in both bands. In both cases, uh, that's know, a great point. <laughs> you've got the Wilson brothers and Mike Love, their cousin, and you've got the uh, Stewart family, uh, th- uh, who became the Stone family, and uh, their cousin Larry Graham. So. Um, you know, all of them very, very uh, young performers. All of them uh, sort of came up uh, almost as you know, the, whatever the musical equivalent of a child star is. Um, that said, um, while we're actually, if I if I may, I, and then I really do want to turn it over to you for the Beach Boys. I mean, the one other comparison I, I felt that it's it's worth noting here is that you have uh, an extraordinary musical genius um, in the studio and in both of these bands and Brian Wilson and, uh, and Sly Stone himself. But I mean, we'll get into that more as we talk about each of these bands. Absolutely. The one thing, um, you know, I would say too, is that, uh, in the Beach Boys and, and, you know, in comparing apples to apples here, um, you know, it was, it, it, it poses a bit of an interesting conundrum because uh, the Beach Boys are coming into uh, the music business while the music business is sort of finding itself, um, you know, in the in the you know very early stages of rock and roll, and um, you know there, there literally is you know multiple companies competing to uh, figure out what the next you know it, it seems like a funny thing to say about nineteen the early nineteen sixties, but they're truly competing with each other to see which uh, technology is really going to take hold. Uh, you know, one company really backed the 45, the other backed the, the long play 33 record. So it's really the cusp of, of, 
the beginnings of albums as opposed to singles. And the Beach Boys were, you know, a singles band, particularly early on. They grew into being an album band, but they were, you know, a singles band, and those singles get, comp- you know, get compiled onto a lot of uh, long play records. And But you'll find a lot of Beach Boys songs are repeated over the course of their discography, um, that said, they also had, you know, the pure volume of singles allowed them to put out, I think, what was it, 25 albums, do we say? I think that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. No, but I mean, you, you, make a, you make a great point there, which is, uh, you know, that you have, um, you do have this sort of repetition where, you know, you'll see, you'll see three songs from a previous album repackaged and reordered. Um, which has actually made it, you know, makes it a little bit difficult to, to really dig into their discography and determine sort of what constitutes. I think you need you need a fairly elastic um, uh, set of you know standards. Yeah, you, you if need you're, to if you're really going to evaluate the early canon. Yeah, you need to allow for the you know for the uh, technology the evolution of technology to become a, you know a piece of this conversation. The other thing is that you know the Beach Boys endpoint um, as far as you know their sort of creative. Um, uh, their, their, you know, their per peak creative era uh, ends with, you know, an album, uh, Pet Sounds, that, you know, sort of announces really the dawning of, of uh, the album as a, as a whole and an art form and not just a, a collection of, of songs, but a, a real, you know, sort of concept without being the, you know, quote unquote concept album. Whereas Sly and the Family Stone, by the time um, they're reaching their, uh, creative pinnacle um they are really participating in the album as an art form and the sort of concept album um per se so it's it's a really uh you know it's weird to think that just those couple of years difference the beach boys starting in 62 and really wrapping up their um early recording career in 67 um and sly and the family stone starting out in really 67 right um and and sort of fleshing out their career, uh, their you know peak recording career around '74, um, you know that they could be such different eras, but they really were. I mean, change was rapid, and um, but anyway, getting to the the meat of what it is, the music. Um, again, like you said, two uh, piloted each by a, a genius, visionary um, songwriter and uh, and uh, arranger. Um, God, this is this is really tough. The Beach Boys are the sound well, of a, of American music, and the Sly and the Family Stone is the beginning of is the sound of American music. Yeah. Of the yeah, exactly. I think one cool thing about both bands too, and and being kind of coming up in the '60s, obviously the Beach Boys had the early optimism of those singles, where they were you know they truly were a, a family band and 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 driven by their father, <clears throat> and a singles hit machine. Sly and the Family Stone, driven by Sly, who, you know, obviously incorporated lots of different musical styles early on, but also had sort of a sunny optimism. And uh, and then, you know, both kind of band leaders took control. Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, obviously with Pet Sounds, which is a, you know, a masterpiece. Let's just say probably one of the best albums put out by anybody in this entire tournament. And then Sly and the Family Stone 
withstand on through there's a riot going on but I, I think too you see both bands kind of take a real turn at the end of the decade so brian wilson obviously had had mental issues and and had um tr- troubles of his own that that sort of took a darker turn where sly had had uh you know drug problems and paranoia and you know you have a full length of, of real gritty kind of uh turn of the century and, and there's a riot going on which is, is a, a classic by sly and the family stone but a very dark tough listen compared to just the, the album that that uh, predated it yeah it, it sort of does i mean there's a uh a very interesting book I read. Uh, it was a history of the of San Francisco called Season of the Witch, and it was uh, you know the subtitle is uh, the Summer of Love, um, you know, and, and which begat uh, nineteen winters of discontent, and that's what um, Sign the Family Stones evolution feels like to me it's sort of this optimism and it's a really different take on on the way the world is going and there's you know that late 60s um summer love san francisco i mean this is the epicenter of it and then you get that early 70s uh come down that uh was is inevitable i guess but also just painful and and really chartable in their case you know it's very easily followed through their music well, similarly, I think you know one of the one of the fascinating things about both of these groups, and and you know it sounds like it, it's interesting to to really plot this out with with both of you guys because one of the things that I'm sort of noticing here is that you know and and we may see this reemerge with a couple of the other bands that that have made it this far into the elite eight, but there is a sort of an incredible arc of development here. Um, you know, the Beach Boys started out with like. Look, they could write the hell out of a pop song. Um, you know, I love Serpent Safari. I'm, you know, and Surfer Girl, and and I, so if four oh nine, like those early songs are so much fun, and they, they despite the fact that none of them actually surfed, um, you know, they basically they they paint a, a fun picture of a of you know a happy time, which sort of is like um, all of the all of the advertising that I imagine from like the nineteen fifties and sixties, and I think it was sort of reflective of the mood in the country. Um, as that turned, as that matured, as it got more psychedelic, as it got more introspective, um, and as young people basically were allowed to be young people in their own right in the late sixties, you know, and adolescence became a thing, um, and and sort of you know the the post war uh, generation sort of um, started to define itself. Teen culture you know, is born. Yeah, teen teen culture exactly. I mean, you know, you have you have those guys exploring much deeper and, and more sort of complex themes about um, uh, it, it wasn't so much like you got married by the age of 22 because that was the thing that you did. It was sort of you brooded over women, you know, it was th- you know, these, these sorts of concepts that like um, uh, that I think hadn't really been as much a part of, of musical culture no, previously I think- because songs were sort of reflective of like an aspirational part of society rather than the actual, than, than the reality. S- Sly and, and the family stone, I think, you know, you see a similar arc though, right? Which is that, I mean, you know, how could you, like, there, uh, there's a riot going on. I mean, that, which came out in, what, 71, um, was, I, you know, concurrent with, um, uh, with you know, the great, like, Marvin Gaye, um, you know, contribution in, yeah, um, in, in what's going on. But, I mean, it's, uh, these guys were, were responding to, um, you know, a, a tremendous social change that had taken place, which was between the sort of summer of love optimism um, of 68 
followed by, you know, Vietnam and the civil rights movement and, um, you know, some, some pretty, I think, tumultuous times in, in um, American society. So, I mean, I think these guys, these guys matured with the country and with, you know, and, and with the sort of social discourse, which is, which is an important part of this uh, competition. Well, I think, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, and I don't want to, you know, turn this into a, into a his, you know, sort of a, uh, an academic, um, you know, exercise necessarily about America at that point, but it is a really interesting thing to think that the Beach Boys came out before um, the Civil Rights Act and um, that, you know, really both being from California sort of put them at a, at a slight distance and and, a, and there was a sort of utopian quality, particularly then to California where, um, you know, it was come out, the sun is here and, and we don't have... Um, you know, there's there's a potential um, sort of paradise for for everybody, and it did offer that. And I think you know, like I said, the uh, you know the end of the '60s in San Francisco, you know, everybody rushed out there for the summer, you know, following the summer of love, and and it and it really devolved. I mean, uh, in San Francisco, and then in LA, you know, similarly there was um, you know there was unrest in the in the late '60s. Um, there was a, a, a large, um, you know, sort of uh, migration of people out to Los Angeles, um, you know, based on the, you know, post-war sort of uh, dream of, of a utopian society that, that sort of crumbled it, uh, as well with uh, late 60s riots in, in, in L.A. It's, a, it's, you know, it's a really interesting moment in history, and I guess you can't really divorce it from the music that was being made there, I mean, but it does, um, you know, speak to the so fact let me, that... So let me ask you right, right there, oh, sorry, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the, you know, I, when I was growing up, I always thought of the Beach Boys as 50s music, um, yeah. even though they're not, you know, exactly 50s music, but... It's you music know, about what society should look like, rather, or what you want it to look like, or hope it might look like, rather yeah. than what it, I mean, it, you, yeah. you, you know, I always, I often talk on this podcast about, you know, 70s AM radio and what a weird mishmash it was of, you know, listening to, you know, Led Zeppelin and Debbie Boone on the same station. But you, you got to remember that the Beach Boys and the Beatles um, are coming out of a, are on the charts at the same time that sort of... Um, uh, Crooners and yeah, Sinatra Doris, and, Doris you know, Day, yeah, exactly. and um, you know how much is that doggy in the window? You know, it's yeah. crazy. So, if we're talking about the the purely the music, though, and this is where you know this is where it, it, the parallels or they diverge, right? I mean, you you, you can't argue very anything much else. Um, you have inc- incredible vocal harmonies. Um, you've got a band that, yeah, they can play. Um, they're they're good musicians. Obviously, some are stronger than others. Uh, in their greatest album ever, I think it's probably important to mention that they are actually back. I mean, the Wrecking Crew plays that album. Um, the Beach Boys don't uh, don't play instruments on it, um, or at least, uh, or at least, you know, they're they have a huge amount of support. Um, Sly, I mean, the musicianship in Sly was, uh, uh, you know, uh, un un paralleled, right? I mean, it's like truly some of the best that we've we've seen. Um, Obviously, Larry Graham basically inventing slap bass. You've got, you know, awesome guitars. You've got great vocal harmonies as well. Um, I, I don't know. Break that down for me a little bit, Jeremy. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not going to go so much into each musician, but I, I do agree with you. I think Sly was a, a band in the sense that the Beach Boys were kind of an orchestration of Brian Wilson's mind. And, and that, that mind, I mean, if anyone's ever seen the Wrecking Crew documentary, which we all have, I mean, the guy is 
beyond a genius. I mean, he's, he's literally telling them what to play, but they're playing it. It's not the Beach Boys, where Sly may have been telling his band what to play as well, but they're all playing it. And the one thing I was thinking about when you guys were talking, like, both these bands are, have really strong singles. So we were talking Sly and the Family Stone is kind of an, an album band, and, and the Beach Boys obviously progressing into an album band. But uh, it's funny when you said you think of the Beach Boys as like a 50s band. I kind of like don't think of them past pet sounds because you can't really, right? I mean, minus like good vibrations. Kokomo. And then there's some there yeah, or well, please let me forget. There's some stuff that you uh, you know, they certainly have some albums after that that I'm sure you can find some gems on. Where Sly and the Family Stone, you know, you you really think of as like an, an album band, but you also like you know, even past, there's a riot going on, there's Fresh, um, which I think is an underrated album. Um, I think it's one of their best, personally. But both bands you can pull apart into a Greatest Hits collection, too. That's amazing, because, like, all the everyday people, you know, for Sly and the Family Stone, uh, you know, Help Me Rhonda for the Beach Boys. You know, you can kind of go back and forth. First of all, it's going to make a great playlist for our, uh, our podcast listeners, but it, it's, you know, it, so it's fun. I mean, this is just an interesting combo where you have two bands that could stand alone, in singles, but I think in the album album sense, Sly and the Family Stone to me has an edge because they actually, you know, they were an album band and they also played everything on those albums. God, this is hard. Um, and then I think the last thing I'll just be the jerk who has to bring up that their late stuff in both bands, um, you know, was uh, was not great. I mean, you know, both of them fell off. Um, I think any I, band that's around that long is. I'm look, they were good, but. No, I'm going to say this in, in um, both cases. This is not, isn't going to help uh, move the needle on either one. But neither one of them was the band that uh, that they were uh, by the time that they were making their biggest mistakes. Um, yeah. You know, that, that the Family Stone had fallen apart entirely um, and was a completely different band, even on Fresh. Um, and uh, the Beach Boys, I mean, there was wrangling for the name. There was a lot of, you know, when I was... Growing up in the 70s, I mean, the Beach Boys had some hits, but they were, um, you know, it was after a re- control had been wrested from Brian Wilson. He was no longer really part of the creative process. Um, and so, you know, they were, again, repackaging the same stuff over and over again. I mean, they were releasing medleys of their hits as singles in the 70s and 80, early 80s. So it's a, it's a you know, I, I kind of... In, in, there's a lot of bands in this where we've where we've sort of you know um, declared a, a Van Hagar effect you know where you know the personnel changed and it changed the tenor of the band but in this case I mean the the whole soul of the band was gone um, and, and particularly in the Beach Boys case well well now that we've we've chewed up about uh, half of the airtime that we were originally allocating for for this uh, just just by going back and forth waxing this is poetic a grind. on these yeah exactly. Um, so I mean, should we move this to a vote? It's tough. I don't know that. I don't know that. I. Uh, I don't know where either one of you are going. That's a funny thing. I don't. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Funny. I, so why don't you vote first one? I'm gonna go Beach Boys. I, I'm gonna go Sly. Ah, uh, fucker. <laughs> All I can hear right now is that snare drum from "Wouldn't It Be Nice" in my head, but um, I'm actually gonna oh, go man. with the bass line of um, uh, "Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself," and I'm gonna go Sly. Wow. That wow. was a shocker. It was close. Oh. The cops are coming to arrest you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, wow. No, really, I think that's true. I think that is what's happening. All right, well, uh, well, let's let's take a little break and give them the victory lap, and uh, and we'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, First game in this um, Elite Eight. Uh, If that tells you anything, this is not going to be easy. Um, Second up on the agenda, on the docket, uh, on the court tonight, Leonard Skinner versus the Pixies. Uh, Elite game. Yeah, this is a contrast to style. This is, uh, you know, this is um, early 90s Loyola Marymount versus... uh, Last week's UVA uh, 39-point debacle. <laughs> you know, who the fuck knows where this one's going? So um, who wants to kick it off? It's it's uh, sw- the Swamp versus uh, the Classroom, I guess. I mean, I, I, I can go Pixies. I mean, I love Skinner, but I'm, I'm going to give a I'm going to give a shout out to the Pixies right now. And, and uh, you know, I think mainly just a band that that I've said it before on this pod. They're, they're a favorite of all of ours. It's a band that no one really has sounded like to me. I mean, from Black Francis's just odd kind of lyric lyric uh, combinations and obsession over UFOs and, and interspersed, uh, you know, full-on Spanish uh, interludes to the screeching guitars to the, you know, quiet kind of um, quiet loud, you know, signature that they, they came out with. I, it's just a band that blew me away, you know, a band that really kind of changed music for me and I think a lot of people and, and uh, we talked on an earlier uh, round with Nirvana you know obviously a huge influence to them and in other bands as well but um, from Come On Pilgrim to Surfer Rosa to Do Little and, and I'll even throw Bossa Nova in there songs like Dig For Fire and Valoria I think are just hold up just as well as some of those earlier tracks um, uh, you know I, I love the fact and my favorite thing in American music is you know, I feel like British music and is generally very stylized, right? So not a lot, you know, obviously there's kind of a, a Celtic folk kind of tradition there, but but for the most part, it, they do a good job of borrowing music and, and making it very British, which is great. But, but very uh, unique to America is just coming up with your own sound, whether it's the Delta Blues or country. And, and the Pixies, for some reason, fall into that for me. They have a, a, a insane pop sensibility, with with really good experimental experimentation and um, great lyrics and, and just a, a truly unique American band. So uh, I'm a huge Pixies fan, as you can tell, and I'll turn over Leonard Skinner to Christian here. Uh, all right. Well, you know, I I am and, and have always been a, a huge Skinner fan and, and Pixies as well. But but um, yeah, tasked with defending Skinner, uh, I think this is the absolute pinnacle of. Um, uncompromising bluesy rock um you know it's 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 hard it's fast it's uh it's you know it's got that just great sort of thundering driving you know guitar riffs um and you know it's uh incredibly talented musicians in this group um i I think the extent to which they they innovated was really to um to amplify at a at a higher volume and sort of put on the arena rock stage of the seventies. Um, that was, that was, you know, the arena rock sort of culture that was emerging, um, to put, you know, the, the sort of most traditional type of, um, you know, blues driven, uh, American music and, um, speed it up. Uh, and, you know, I think these guys, I, I would add to that. I think, you know, the, the redneck image, um, which was sort of iconic for them, um, whether it was, whether it was the, holy shit, 200-foot by 400-foot Confederate stars and bars that would fly behind their stage during the concerts. Um, Probably uh, 
probably fucks with their legacy a little bit now. I mean, you know, just in terms of the way that the, I think fewer people probably have listened to them because of that. Um, but I think they I, came by know, it honestly. I mean, they are from Jacksonville. They are from that part of the world. It's a, you know, I mean, it, right. And the, well, and the, the politics perhaps don't line up that clearly with, you know, the way that that, that's, that symbol might be used today. Um, but, but, you know, to, I, I think that's a difficult thing to, to, um, to, to really argue or to know for sure. Um, and, you know, I think the, the, po- the point I was going to make, though, is that that sort of like that sort of rollicking redneck image or whatever, um, I think probably got in the way of the fact that at the end of the day, Ronnie Van Zandt was a hell of a songwriter. Like he was a really funny writer um, and a really tight, clever writer, I thought. Um, you know, his songs are, are, are outstanding. Wyndham, you, you should speak to this more. I mean, I'd actually be interested for your breakdown of the lyrics. You're the writer among us, and you're the guy who obsesses over lyrics more than we do. Um, you know, how do you, how do you compare these two well, I think in, no, in I that th- category? Yeah, I thought um, it's funny because I think Skinner, you know, I think for all the, the iconography and, and you know, uh, heft and, and importance that gets you know heaped onto that um i do think that guy was a very economical songwriter and, and he did you know it was funny and cocky and had swagger i mean it you know cockiness when done well is called swagger um it i think both uh and and you know they're the pixies were the opposite there was a sort of um it's it's that it's a sort of an abstract collagist kind of of lyricism that relies almost as much on sounds of words as it does on the meanings of words, and um, which I of course delight in because it means I don't have to think about the subject matter. You no, know, it's like it's, it's a, more yeah, it's, 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 language it's evocative percussion. of images yeah. exactly. And and I think that's you know a really interesting. I mean, we talk you know we were in previous rounds talking about pavement. You know, I really think that that is as much influenced by Russell Edson or you know Jim Tate as it is by you know any pre, you know previous song prior songwriters. Um, but you know, getting back to this, it, the funny thing when I went back to to sort of do the matchup between the Pixies and Skinner is that I realized you know, and I, I don't think of Skinner as a band you know pre and post accident. I really think of Skinner as um, you know, the first two and a half albums, you know, um, four, you, I think you can go, you can go up to four basically. I mean, up till 76. I mean, yeah. and really, you know, um, they, they, Street but Survivor, yeah, Len- but, yeah. it's, pr- it's pronounced Leonard Skinner and second helping are fucking, t- you know, like, like masterpieces. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think that's the same, you know, I think of because I lived through the Pixies and was so close to them and, and because Skinner has always existed in the background and I grew up you know, marginally in the South, um, you know, I think of this of Skinner's legacy as being a lot longer uh, than the Pixies, but when in fact the Pixies' um, you know output was fairly similar to pre-accident Skinner. I mean, and I don't think of Skinner you know reformed as really Skinner. Um, I think um, so. You're really no, judging when, both when Skinner hit the state fair circuit. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I'm willing. I'm willing to forgive them that one. Yeah, but I mean, it's sort of like, you know, the family stone um, that tours now with, you know, one original member and the promise that Sly may come out one of these days to to, to sing in, in a surprise appearance. But, um, you know, I think we're basically judging both bands on, on similar output, which is basically four albums in, uh, over the course of, you know, five or six years. 
Um, and of course, both did so much to sort of spawn a, an entire genre in their wake. You know, they did. But I would I would argue this, and this would be my you know this would be my push um, um, towards the Pixies, and that is uh, every band I've liked since the Pixies came out, which is basically every band that's come out since you know say nineteen. 89, 90, 91, has been influenced by the Pixies. Uh, that's not to say every band has been influenced by the Pixies. That's to say every band I've liked has been influenced by the Pixies. And that's a big thing for me. Um, and I would put that, uh, you know, to both of you and uh, in, in thinking about Shit. this argument. That's a great point. Yeah, that's really tough. Um, you know, I... Mm. So, boy. rather than stun <laughs> silence, um, let's go for a vote. Man, I wasn't expecting you to drop such a yeah, such a great um drop the mic. Right. All right. Well. Um all right. I uh I I guess I'll I, I I'm going the Pixies cuz I mean I just showed my hand. So, I'm going Pixies. Christian. All right. Um I'm uh, I've got to go Skinner. I think they represent so much of you know core American music um in in terms of the way that they brought country to a huge stage. I've got to go Skinner. I, I'm a huge Southern fan, huge country fan, and I uh, I agree that that Skinner definitely brought honky tonk rock to a, a huge audience. But I think the Pixies are just as American, and I think that uh, you know, in a, in a different way, they they are uniquely American. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Pixies as well. I can live with that. I gotta say, you know, it's a it's a tough one. Yeah, but it's always good when someone I don't feel bad about decision the- for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel bad about exactly. I don't feel bad about the Pixies moving on one bit. No. that we uh we're gonna uh go away and come back uh tomorrow and another day we've got big matchups tomorrow big star versus the stooges and velvet underground versus nirvana perhaps the uh game of the elite eight so thanks for listening and we'll come back soon that's it for this episode of brother 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 podcast many thanks to simon doom for our intro music hair of the god and to our heroic producer damian kendall You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Tweet our mistakes and your recommendations and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, on behalf of Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you for listening.